Well, it's another week of quarantine and I have I have a lot movie-wise to update you on. Okay. So, I guess Give I'm going to I'm going to start by Well, I guess I could start or I was just going to say if there's anything you want to bring up. Like or, the stuff that I've watched? Yeah, I mean anything movie related? Anything movie related? Well, I mean there's not much as in the way of news. There's not no. much. No. Uh as far as movies I've seen, uh, I mean, nothing really to I, I've been watching a lot of things that aren't necessarily movies, but aren't TV as well. Like what? I've... I finally finished the five hour trial of Tim Heidecker. Oh, I finished mm-hmm. the finale for Nathan for you. Um, hmm. And I watched Groundhog Day. You did. I saw that. That was a while ago, though. Yeah, it was like a week ago. Yeah, that's a this while. week. I mean, so this week I had started off this week with the movie that we're supposed to watch today. Then I spent the next day finishing the trial. Then the other movie was the movie we watched today or we're discussing today. Then yesterday I watched the Lego movie again. So not, nothing really as far as new to update. Would it be on. fair to call the Lego movie a modern classic? It really is. I was thinking about it when I was watching it yesterday the amount of jokes in that movie is just kind of insane. I haven't, I haven't seen it since it came out and I really probably should. It, it kind it is pretty incredible. I think there are moments where their specific brand of high energy humor kind of gets a little overbearing once you get towards the second half and you've been watching this for over an hour, Mm. but I don't know. It's, it's, it's universally appealing with just the right amount of depth for children to understand, but also an insane amount of like thematic cohesion towards the end. When it starts dipping into live action, it actually becomes pretty impressive. Hmm. I would say it's a modern classic though. It's probably the best animated movie. It's, it's better than any animated movie Pixar's done over the last decade, barely wow. beating out Coco. This decade, yeah, I think what that's what have they done this decade? I see. I keep getting. I was actually thinking about this because I watched. I got a free trial for Disney Plus this past week, mm-hmm. um, and I was pleasantly surprised that oh, Disney Plus is not as useless as I thought it was going to be. Oh, um, it's got some stuff. Yeah, uh, and I, I wanted to catch up on some animated movies that I, I didn't catch in theaters because I always feel weird going to an animated movie uh, alone. Yeah, uh, you're not wrong. Yeah, and I don't particularly Unless go out of my West way Anderson. to watch them. Um, just yeah. I like to keep up with everything film related. So felt the need to watch. I watched Frozen Two. Um, uh, Was it as okay as it looked? <sighs> I also watched Onward. Um, and you did not seem to like that one. Okay. Onward was just pretty much cookie cutter and beneath Pixar, which is the only reason why I didn't like it as much as I did. And then Frozen 2 was, uh, let me just say it could not escape the Disney sequel-itis, the tragedy of every Disney sequel that it just... People just got to learn from Paddington. it, It literally felt like they were just... There was a brainstorm room where the Disney uh, writers team were like, all right, little kids, they love Anna and Elsa. So what can we, how can we play directly into their fantasies of being them? And that was the movie. Oh, no. With with some 
environmental bullshit thrown in. It was, oh my God. Of course. Yeah. Um, but all of this reminds me of you talking about uh, TV shows is that uh, for some reason, anime are, is now on Letterboxd. TV, full on TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. And now I think, yeah, as we discussed briefly in the group chat, the highest rated thing, thing, not narrative thing. movie on Letterboxd is Cowboy Bebop. Which, if you haven't seen it, it's awesome. It is kind of amazing. Um, how, okay, so the other thing I want to... Uh, this is a recommendation to you that I've made before. And that mm-hmm. in the top 30, I believe, of anything on Net, on Letterboxd is mm-hmm. uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I don't know where specifically, but I know it's in the top 30. And Didn't Brendan Sanju start watching Brandon it? Brendan Sanju did start watching it. And Brendan mm-hmm. Sanju likes it. So uh, this is this is my little uh, nudge. Uh, you should watch it. It here's the way I think about it. If Cowboy Bebop is a amazing animated TV show, like it mm-hmm. almost doesn't feel anime because it doesn't have all the tropes of like anime. Kind of leans into the shitty animation style sometimes, where like freeze yeah. frame and they go like oh, nani yelling mm-hmm. right like that's a trope of anime that doesn't exist within the art style of cowboy bebop right so not really no. yeah so cowboy the bebop, only thing that does exist is the the very sexualized characters yeah but cowboy well, bebop know, is, is the pinnacle of like just normal animation tv show mm-hmm. and then full metal full metal alchemist brotherhood i think would be the one pinnacle of anime television that leans into those tropes a lot a lot more that i think is mm-hmm. is very accessible for pretty much any audience um it's essentially uh avatar the last airbender but a bit more adult yeah is he gonna start that or um evangelion i've heard great things about that too and there's a few of the movies are on letterboxd and i think yeah. they do quite well they're high up people speak very highly of it let's be fair letterboxd in general has a slight anime slant does it there's a, there's a good amount of weebs on letterboxd i feel uh, yeah i don't know I, I never got the the sense of that i never really got the sense that anyone was on letterboxd it was just film fans but i i figured is i i'm only making this assessment based off the abnormal amount of followers i have with anime profile pictures oh okay which is about a solid 25 percent of my followers interesting well personal experience is always uh, a valid uh data source that's all i go off of of course of course of course that's what else do you have Uh, other than getting the numbers directly from letterboxd about their their membership none you have nothing they could be fudging them uh you never know that's one way of looking at it it's the only way of looking at it so i God, so much happened this past week i uh, because i i finished the the fire video last week and then i kind of felt did. burnt out on a lot of stuff and i started a a parasite video essay which probably we finished next week but i really kind of like cut down on the amount of hours that i was putting towards video editing and research for those kind of projects and i've been watching a lot of movies lately so much so that past four days, I think I've watched three movies every single day. My God. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how long, how long I can keep it up, but it will, I'll probably watch three movies tonight. So it'll be another day. 
But oh, I'm jealous. So the at the end, it started really at the end of May, April. We're in May now. <laughs> started at the end of this April, true. where you know there's always a bunch of stuff leaving the Criterion Channel, and I was like, I want to watch a bunch of things tonight. Uh, and one of the things I watched was Oslo, August 31st, which is a Norwegian film from like eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it before. Um, but I have to say it was, one, a really interesting movie, particularly because of a very unique artistic voice that I felt in the film. It's about yeah. uh, a guy who's a recovering uh, drug abuser who is let out who's in like a recovery center and he's let out for a day to go apply for a job in the city mm-hmm. and he goes and visits his family and uh, that's the movie uh, and friends around the town uh, but there's a scene in oslo august 31st that blew literally blew me away uh, with its filmmaking in the way that like parasite is like from beginning to end blows me away yeah right uh, this was just one scene not not to make it any less impressive of a feat, but the way that it was edited, it was just the main character was sitting at a cafe and just people watching. And I think it was the best portrayal of people watching I've ever seen. Oh. And like it, I don't know how to describe it, but I will, I wasn't too into the movie. I'm usually not a hundred percent zoned in on movies when I watch them on my TV. But mm-hmm. when I just started noticing the scene and the editing and like the filmmaking techniques they were using, I like dialed in 200% to the, the television screen. And I, I get that very rarely these days. And I, I really appreciate it when, whenever I do find something of unique artistic voice and that uses film in a really, really great way. So I just added it. Felt I needed to, to talk about that. Yeah, I just added it. We'll check it out. I'll check it out. It's got to be somewhere on the internet. It did leave uh, Criterion Channel, so. That's a shame. It is a shame. Uh, yeah. Let me see. Amazon, it would appear. Oh, it's a disc. Uh, oh, it's on iTunes and YouTube. So yeah. There you go. Uh, so the other thing is today I reached 1,600 movies on Letterboxd. So a, uh, wow. a milestone. I, I felt proud for getting to 1,000. That's a good uh, good achievement. I I feel proud about sixteen hundred, and then I look at other people who have over two thousand, and I'm like, yeah, it's right. not enough. I need more. Well, the thing is, I hit a thousand sometime last September or October, and now I'm all I just hit eleven hundred the other day. So I'm I'm steadily getting there. You're working your but way up. I am working my way up, but you know, I'm I am. Uh, rationing or splitting my time between movies and tv now and i do at least three movies a week well that's good i've started i've been watching a lot more new movies lately i, I was re-watching a lot of stuff earlier in the year and i felt eh, it's time to explore new territory more mm. but i did rewatch the uh, uh in 24 hours i rewatched the the pirates of the caribbean trilogy all three of them? all three of them there's only three. And what, what are what are your thoughts, Chandler? I feel like I don't break my heart. I finished the the you trilogy, and I felt the first idea that came to my mind was: Is it just me, or do they not make blockbusters as good as this anymore? 
And then I felt, is that, Probably a, not. is that a boomer idea that I just had? It kind of is. It kind of right? is. But tell me if I'm, if I'm missing the mark here and I'm just ignoring it. But I, I felt as watching, because, you know, Dead Man's Chest and At World's End were kind of maligned when they came out. And they have eh, uh, critical scores. But I found myself watching them. And I was like, these are extremely entertaining movies. They're messy and they're not necessarily good. Oh, they're very entertaining. But when did we go from making something that was like, these are clear cash grabs when you think about it. But mm -hmm. the the fact that they're cash grabs doesn't affect the, like they don't feel uh, like every decision was target marketed. Yeah. Right. And it, when did we go from that to something like at world's end is so wildly all over the place of a movie. It's but a good it's amount. A good like a movie. Good, it is. And the rise of Skywalker, it makes me even more about the angry about the rise of Skywalker in that. When did we go from being able to make a mediocre movie that was still entertaining and satisfying to a terrible movie that was not entertaining and not satisfying at all like yeah. has the quality of people working on these things fallen i don't know but it frustrated me watching those and then what we get what we have to deal it's with it's been a long time since i've seen the original trilogy same um i do still love the first one the first one will always be one of my favorites the only thing i remember really about the next two is that i love davy jones He's really great. Davy really Jones the effects hold up. might be the only... Huh? The effects hold up. They really do. Davy Jones, is of those three movies, is the only thing that I think is consistently great. Hmm. Because the third movie is like... It's like a good 45 minutes of them just sitting around a table discussing pirate law. It's not that long. It's, it feels like that long. But let's also not forget that the the next two installments after that initial trilogy are hot garbage and also not entertaining. I feel like the Pirates trilogy is the perfect narrative of the decline in uh, the or the rise, the rise of money in blockbusters in storytelling, where you have the first film, which was it was a money based cash adventure but a, a very well-made yeah. movie the second really, two were just pretty, yeah. you know capitalizing on that and they were still pretty good you need more and then but you see like this quality decline over the years and the, the most recent two are just utter trash and they're they exemplify the worst of what's going on because at least the first three even though they're kind of insane and kind of all over the place and messy there is a the filmmaking i think is always great they're some of the most expensive movies ever made. And that's because of the practical effects that go into the pirate ships themselves. They're very expensive sets to build. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. like, if you just think about the world of the first movie alone, like Tortuga and the scenes in England and all that, it's actually pretty insane that that all came together so well. And even in the next two, that still looks good. It, but four and five... Great. Oh my god! Here, like I was watching <laughs> the, that. the climax of uh, at World's End, where they're on the pirate ships and it's raining. And is that everything. where they're they're going through the the the, the whirlpool? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it like it should be like 
the image should be messy and terrible, but it was crisp, clear. You could understand what was happening. And I could just think of like the end of Avengers Endgame where it's just dull, muted grays and it's boring as hell to look at. And like, you can, you can like it. You can find it entertaining, but it, it's terrible. Like it looks bad CGI. It just looks like no one bothered to do cinematography for it. Yeah. I don't know, but no, it's it's not great. At world's end is it's a long movie, but it's really entertaining. (laughs) I love it. All right. And I'm going to ask, I know the answer, but I'm going to ask, how does it compare to the Indiana Jones trilogy? Oh, well, it's it's not really even close quality wise, but oh, no, I I enjoy it so much. I'd say like they're all all three. It's they're really strong. They're really strong. They Even Dead Man's Chest. I think that that film on on I don't know what it has on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's too low like that. It was actually it's a good movie. I think the character arcs and the development and the dialogue and everything is there for a good action movie. I think that it's it, it's similar to me in the way that the Raiders movies are regarded, where the first one, or the Raiders, the Indiana Jones movies are regarded, where the first one is kind of amazing, and the next two, you have your fans of both. Um, but for me, it goes Curse of the Black Pearl, World's End, Dead Man's Chest. Hmm. And, De- and World's End, I admit, is the messiest of the movies, but goddamn, if I don't just like how ridiculous it gets towards the end. They're so funny. Like, like not yeah. unintentionally funny, just actually funny. And I genuinely really enjoy Johnny Depp as a Jack Sparrow. It, I mean, everyone agrees. Like, next two films, he kind of goes off the rails, and I think the director doesn't even try. And the, he just does the, what he wants. The last movie of the Pirates trilogy, what's called, uh, Dead Man Tell No Tales. Yeah, something like that. That. I think about it a lot. That might be the worst movie I've ever seen in theaters. It was. It's most certainly, I've often called it the worst blockbuster I've seen. It is, just all kinds of awful. And you're and you're making me want to see on Stranger Tides because I never saw it. Oh, that's where I checked out. Because I'll be honest, one of the one of the main uh, things that I hate about the. Uh, trilogy is i i never liked um orlando bloom hmm. i found him always to be the most annoying character <laughs> but this this one doesn't have orlando bloom uh-huh. so maybe maybe hmm. there's something else there's one last thing i want to say can i remember it Planes, ships. oh here's here's here it is so i when i first watched the pirates trilogy i was younger and i was just like these are awesome let's just go with it and now that i've you know uh, the majority of movies i watch are art house indie movies same and i'm thinking about theme a lot and watching at world's end i'm like this is an interesting movie because essentially what it boils down to is making pirates the good guys and pirates are you know they're they're People who pillage, steal, rape, and do They're every good guys. <laughs> bad thing you could think of. Yeah. And in real life, of course, the the British Navy and the forces yeah. of mod- modernity went out. And in the Pirates 
trilogy and the franchise as a whole, it it's kind of regressive in its message in that it's going back into the maintaining the old pirate ways. And that's part of the reason probably why the next two movies are very stagnant um, mm-hmm. is because at world's end has themes even though they're very messy um and they kind of just it's it like the at world's end feels like stop right like you you made a movie about the end of pirates the but also the fact that they keep surviving i don't know like it was interesting just to think about what what would at world's end be and what would the future of the pirates franchise be if there was a more thematic uh more thought put into the thematic implications and one of the things i like about dead man's chest um and at world's end and the character of cutler beckett and the east india trading company is he's painted as a villain but he's very much the the force of of order in this chaotic criminal world and in any other movie he would probably be the good guy or on the side of the good guys. Well, I don't know. It's kind. It kind of. It's kind of the same thing with westerns. Like think about Unforgiven. Is is uh, Gene Hackman really a bad guy? He's the sheriff. He he keeps law in the town. But since our protagonist is Clint Eastwood, the outlaw, you know, and most western stories revolve around an outlaw. There's a reason they're called outlaws. I think a lot but, of western you know, stories revolve around sheriffs and around the law. Those are the boring ones, though. Mm. High Noon, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. Do you like High Noon? High Noon's a great movie. Oh, God. It's a classic. Oh, no. But, but which one's better? My High Darling Noon Clementine. Wild Bunch. My Darling That's Clementine. That's a great... I do like uh, My Darling Clementine. Once Upon, once upon a Time the best in the West. Another... That's, uh, ah. that's like Outlaws. Uh, yeah, that's true coming together to deal with corrupt not there's not really even a sheriff in that film <laughs> which is interesting what is uh oh yeah you're right you're right um yeah but i i find the 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 area the thematic areas of pirates of the caribbean particularly as developed in at world's end um not necessarily developed but just in the background interesting and i think there's good content left to explore in that franchise but they clearly have no interest in that they don't care they don't care johnny death doesn't care we don't care at this point there's been two really shitty movies no, i don't i don't think i'd ever care yeah i the only reason i went to go see um dead man tell no tales is because javier bardem was in it mm. i thought he looked cool but no he didn't <laughs> alas yeah pirates trilogy pretty good pirates trilogy holds up it holds does up. surprisingly well i, I think it would mm-hmm. it has increased in better than indiana jones time. you heard it from us both <laughs> you only heard that from you we both admitted it uh, i don't know about that it's on the record at least curse of the black pearl is a strong contender oh curse, curse of the black pearl is it's legitimate it might be a great movie it is a great movie so i've been saying this whole time also my last note on parts of the caribbean the music is iconic it just is oh yeah 
it is fantastic. Oh yeah. This I it makes me so sad that the last two have been so terrible because I love the idea a swashbuckling movie. I love swashbuckling mm. movies, but they're notoriously expensive and the last two pirates have pretty much turned anyone off the idea of them and it makes me sad. Well, I think we have to wait 20 years and then we might see a resurgent resurgence in uh, the swashbuckling genre. I just wait until Disney remakes the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. That's how that usually goes. Wait a bit and then your your favorite genre mm-hmm. comes back in some form. But they're going to switch it around. They're going to do it animated this time. That, they Chris save Pratt a lot of money. As, as <laughs> Jack Sparrow. <laughs> no. Tom Holland is. <laughs> Elizabeth Swan. <laughs> Tilda Swinton, Swinton as, uh, as the Black Pearl. I was going to say Tilda Swinton as Davy Jones, but she can be both. Oh, that's even better, actually. Yeah. Uh, that'd be great. Do you fear death? <laughs> I love the line, uh, do you fear death? And then Jack Sparrow says, you have no idea. Oh, God. Oh, and then there's the whole... It's so... surreally stupid that when Jack Sparrow's in the the locker and he has the peanut and they're fighting (laughs) over a peanut. (laughs) Well, that's that's the thing is that I think... As as far as the writing goes, Barbosa is a way better villain. But I just love <laughs> whoever the actor is who plays Davy Jones. I just love how into it he is. For even the stupidest turns in the story, I believe him. Even though all he does is snarl and his tentacles pop. <laughs> He's just a great looking villain. He's great. The, the series has great villains. Barbosa, Davy Jones, Cutler Beckett. All three of them are really strong. Yeah. Yeah. Watch it. Elizabeth it's Swan. Great. Cure Knightley. Yeah, she is. And she was 16 at the time of the first movie. That's crazy really? to me. She was 16. I don't believe it. She looks older. Uh, oh, okay. All right. Hold on. Kira Knightley. Well, I'm not calling. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just. Oh, you said you said I don't believe it. Well, that's a figure of speech. Kira Knightley was born 1985. So it was okay. So she she was either sixteen or seventeen, one of the two. Hmm. Incredible. Well, we I think we went too long on that, but I enjoyed. We definitely it. did. <laughs> the great movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what is our movie of this week? So the movie this week we is the well the the new movie this week is Bad Education. Mm-hmm. which Chandler told me to watch for some reason well, that I'm you know, forgetting at the grasping moment. At, we're grasping at straws because there's not a lot of new movies coming out. Right. And I saw that this was a new movie. It got decent buzz. It's easily available. I thought, why not? Let's go for it. So this is a 2020 release, although it was at TIFF in 2019, but who cares? Mm-hmm. Bad Education is based on a true life story of Dr. Frank Tucson, who is a uh, superintendent of a school on Long Island. And uh, there's a scandal at the school involving stolen money, which he may or may not be a part of. Chandler, what did you think of Bad Education? This is just 
there's there's no other way to say it. It's just a solid movie. I never thought any part of it was particularly amazing, but everything about it was just good. It was solid. It was well executed. It 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 is in a movie or in a year where like we're scraping the bottom of the barrel for new releases. This was probably the best one I've seen this year. As someone who has seen one other movie this year, and I can't even tell you what that movie is, this is the best movie I've seen all year. <laughs> no, this this Bad Education is a genuinely good movie, and I, it's not, you know, it's not more than that. It's exactly what it needs to be, and yeah, I, I don't really know where to begin. I'm going to begin with. The uh, this might be my favorite uh, Hugh Jackman performance. I think a lot of people have been saying that. A lot of I've seen a lot of buzz around this as one of his best performances. Hugh Jackman has never been a bad actor. I've just never been wowed by him. Yeah. So the last time I was trying to think of when was the last time I saw a movie with Hugh Jackman, and I know this. I know this is not the answer, but the last time I can remember seeing him in a movie was Les Misérables. You didn't see Logan. I need to. Oh, Logan's great. Yeah, but but that's the thing about Hugh Jackman is that he's he's such a, a contradiction because he got his start as Wolverine, mm-hmm. you know, super masculine, strong, fierce superhero. But as he's gotten older and we he's been around for a lot longer, we've seen his true passion, and that is uh, it's it's musicals. He's a bit he's really big into musicals. He worked really hard for Les Mis. He is basically the reason that the greatest showman exists. And I think now that his Wolverine days are over, we're, tr- we're going to see him sort of expand into other roles. And I think this was the first one that really was just like, I-, I thought of Hugh Jackman as more than just a superhero actor who occasionally does musicals. Yeah. I think he really, really sells the role of Dr. Frank Tassone, who. It's honestly a really interesting kind of subtle character study. And I almost wish that the movie leaned a little bit more into exploring who he is as a person. Well, that that's the thing is that this movie I thought when I was watching, I thought it had a really strange structure because the first act of the movie is all about setting up the characters and then, you know, the bomb drops that someone has been stealing money. And then the second act is the fallout from all of that resulting in the third act which is they find out that Hugh Jackman's also been stealing money but then like the third act is just nothing really happens it's kind of all it's kind of all just waiting for the punishment because that's the whole big thing that happens towards the end is that oh we found out the pu- the, the school newspaper published a story about it whatever but then like the whole entire third act is just about how yes it was he did a bad thing he stole things but also he worked really hard and he wasn't being rewarded or paid as well as the other people who weren't working nearly as hard. So I think it's a very interesting twist in the end where you're like, okay, was he really a bad guy? Because yes, he did take money, but all the money that he did use, he used it correctly. He brought the school up and you got a sense that he really cared about these kids yeah so that's the that's there's a lot of contradictions within his character which were 
probably the most fascinating thing about the film and that Hugh Jackman does portray it so well. But mm. one of the things is that like he, he's stealing money from the school and you can say a lot of it was for a lot of what he did take was for he was using it to project an image and help because he wanted to. You feel he genuinely wants to help the school, wants to make sure everyone's doing better. Partly out of a known, uh, partly out of a concern for his own self-image, though. Yeah, he's a very uh, self-invested uh, person, a very vain human being, and yes. two of the things that I felt the the film could have developed on more was the fact that it essentially glosses over the fact that, I mean, regardless of how he's doing it, he's stealing millions from a school, and that's like, wow, like the the. The school does a little bit, the the movie does a little bit about that, how like parts of the roof are leaking and all that and like money could be used elsewhere. But I felt that the gravity and the, I, I think it's like, it the movie treats it too lightly that he's taking money from a public school. Um, yeah. And then the other thing I felt the, the film could uh, have focused a little bit more on how um, as a character, he's quite vain, quite self-centered. Um, and he's doing a lot of this, not necessarily for other people, um, but for his own self-image. Well, he, he's doing he, he's both, very, but, you know, he's very obsessed with image. Yeah. Because, you know, he gets the surgery. He's he's very concerned about diet and weight loss. And he applies all these things to his face or whatever. But as far as like. um, Not showing that or or not, I guess, showing the severity of it, I think. I, I completely lost my chair of thought. Because <laughs> the movie is sympathizing with him. Obviously. Yes. But I don't think you need necessarily need to have... You can have your cake and eat it too. You can show sympathy for this man and the reasons for why he's doing something. But also but explore the implications, the, re, the actual implications of what he's doing. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I don't know about the implications because you never felt the absence of this money. It was like he kept taking all the money, taking all the money, but he was still getting results. Right. So I don't know. I I also come from uh my my mom's a teacher and she tells me a lot of stories about people that are just super entitled when it comes to educators, you know, because they see them as just essentially um uh, uh, public service figures that they're entitled to get your full attention for all these kids but the reality is these people can't focus on every kid mm. that's why i love towards the third act where you see this kid who you know hugh jackman gives a chance in the first act where he's like oh we'll help you retake that test or whatever the kid with the bad bladder and then in the end you just see that this kid is a moron and that was my favorite part of the movie that was, was hugh really jackman good. just <laughs> hugh jackman just trying to get this kid to say accelerate but at that point, I thought I thought that is the moment where I'm like, is it really that bad that he's taking all the money? Yeah, that's because the thing. Because man... I didn't feel that it was all that bad, and yet in the back of my mind, the rational part of my brain was like, this is public money. This is terrible. What he's doing. But I, I feel like that's part of the point, though, is that he's taking all this public money, but he's he's doing what was intended. He's getting the results. It's just that he didn't put all of it it's a very ethically shaky movie yeah and that's why i find it so interesting and it's just really well paced as well it's yeah i funny. think it, it, it i love alice and janey 
it almost missteps near the end of the second, third act when it is just kind of yeah. waiting for him to get his punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it, it frustrated me a little that uh, I, I was like, dude, the game is up. What are you doing? Like, if you have a like single... When he, tried to, when he tried to convince the reporter to not... Uh, yeah, and then even the after that, like when he when he runs away to Nevada... I'm like, what? You know you're gonna get caught if you stop and think about this for one second. Turn I yourself think he knew, in. But here, no. Here's I the thing. He Let knew, me finish. Though. Yeah. No, I know. But it it frustrated me, and then I thought about it for a second. Like, this is someone who is so deluded about the fact that he thinks he was doing good things for the school uh-huh. with the money that he doesn't deserve any of this. That maybe he won't get caught that he is such this kind of vain person that it does make sense. And I, it fed into his character and to the the development of that, that I, what originally was a frustration became a deeper understanding of the, of who Frank Tucson as a character was. Mm hmm. Yeah, you know, I just this is this is a subgenre of movie that I I very much love, which is the let's take a let's take a a genre kind of movie and set it in a high school. Just like I love Brick as a high school noir, this is a fantastic high school journalism movie. Yeah, Rachel which, you know, with the uh, the journalism. That's a a solid oh, subplot there. She's great. And I love that she was the one to bring him down. Um, but yeah, it's 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 tricky. Um, I the, the my one complaint about this movie, I always want to see more Ray Romano. Yep. He, he, I mean, he was in it for good about. But still, I, I need more Ray Romano. It's just a movie that it does everything it does pretty well. Can I? So I'm looking at the cast list and I didn't notice mm. this during the film, but. Ray Romano, his character name is Big Bob Spicer. Big? <laughs> big? Big. It says Big Bob Spicer. He's he's, he's pretty great. normal sized. <laughs> but no, I would agree. Ray Romano, great. Could great, use more. Fantastic. Allison Janney, fantastic. Yes. I, I love this. I, I quite enjoy movies that portray Staten Island trash. Staten Island trash is my favorite like subgenre of white trash. And Allison Janney is is she's not like she's not like white trash in the way that she is in something like um I Tanya. Yeah. But she's pretty great. And I loved her son. <laughs> such a dunce. Going to all those <laughs> such a moron. It's just a movie that I think it it it's really paced well. It throws you a lot of twists and turns once you see just how far this rabbit hole goes. And I don't know, did you did you see it coming that Hugh Jackman was in on it? I I knew kind of that he was in on it. Not like the plot synopsis doesn't doesn't give it away, but I kind of felt that that was just going to he okay, was going to be yeah. a part of it. I unfortunately um, knew ahead of time. Ah. Um I, I was somewhat familiar with this scandal. Yeah. One of the things I really liked about uh, the film was actually its cinematography. Um, oh, yeah. it's It's got this kind of blue and white 
look. It's like the, the film is mostly blues and whites and very cold, deep, deep colors. Mm-hmm. It'd be jewel tones, except everything except blue has been put to a very minimal uh, level because it's, it's a very saturated navy, like a, a collegiate. Mm-hmm. It's a collegiate uh, color cinematography scheme. Hello, Jacob here from the future. I don't normally do these little add-on addendum corrections, but I thought I'd do one here because I was properly embarrassed uh, upon looking back upon this segment. I do, in fact, know the difference between production design and cinematography, and the film has blue and white production design, using the color those colors to influence a lot of the uh, production design decisions in the film, and it's the cinematography that highlights those colors, that they use a lot of fluorescence and a lot of white daylights that kind of make the film feel a lot colder, make those whites pop out and make the blues colder than uh, they normally would be. So that's just my little uh, add-on correction to what I said there. Back to your normally scheduled programming. Not just collegiate, but... um, School. Prestige. It it, it feels like the high school equivalent of a ivy league school yeah and it, and you're right it does give it a, a very cool kind of look um mm-hmm. and there was there were some shots in the film that there was a reoccurring visual motif where uh straight on shots that are very balanced mm-hmm. there's two shots one where uh frank is in the book is at the book club at the, yeah. the housewife uh her house and then when he's reading a book to the kids and both shots, Frank is exactly in the center, and there's two girls on either side of him. Mm-hmm. And they're just mirror shots. And it was interesting that the kind of very center-focused, uh, not Wes Anderson-y uh, symmetry, but that type of shot was used, I felt, almost to explore uh, Frank's kind of perfectionism or his, mm-hmm. his self-image. That these look good, but then there's a lot of kind of shot reverse shots where they don't look great. Like uh, yeah. Hugh Jackman and uh, Allison Janney, they don't look great. Like they do, like Hugh Jackman does, but also kind of not. And there's some kind of he's weird. Very skinny. Yeah, there's some kind of like weird uh, the shots of him. He's very he's very clean. Very yeah, clinical man. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I was looking at on uh, online i was like what's the budget of this because it feels very low budgety but very well but it feels like they got every every uh sense worth of their budget yes oh yes how'd you feel about the ending uh i don't know i thought it was just i don't know (laughs) i wasn't a fan I guess it just it, the the point of the ending scene, uh, at least for me, was that it really emphasizes how much he cares about status and image. Um, so much so that it's kind of just it entirely in his head. There's a bit of a psychosis going on there, mm-hmm. um, and I felt that it that could have been. Mm, I don't know. It felt on the nose, maybe. Yeah, it felt like it was it was pretty much reiterating what we already knew. Like obviously he doesn't want to be in jail and obviously this is what he was working towards, but I don't know, it just felt like a pretty weak way to end it. Also, one other quick thing is that I know a huge part of this was that um the whole uh, motivation for his character is that 
Frank is a character who is constantly, you know, um, uh, fraternizing with these elites, you know, like Big Bob Spicer and the other uh, board members. And for some reason, those board members are super wealthy, but he doesn't get paid nearly as much. But I, I never felt like they showed us that inequality. You know, yeah, it, it was more. I didn't. Of a under- I didn't tell us, not show us. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that Ray Romano was rich until the end. He said he was rich. Yeah, I mean they're all living in Staten Island and working as, uh, as he's the superintendent. You never really get a sense of how much money Frank does or does not have. Yeah, which I know is is kind of the point, but I don't know. It, I I felt like if there was some sort of more concrete um, declaration that he was of lower income, desperately trying to get to that higher income. But I guess that would also sort of defeat the the twist that he's in on it. Yeah. That, that's what I'm saying about this movie is that everything it does, it does really well. But it never does anything amazingly well. It's just an all around, every way you look at it, solid movie. Just solid. Yeah. It's solid. I'd, I'd recommend it. Just flat out. It's good. You could... As stuff that was recently released, that's great. You know, that could also be why I think it's great is because I haven't seen like anything this yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, strong recommendation. You know, yeah. if you're looking for definitely, something to definitely watch. Definitely solid. Quick, funny, entertaining. There you go. Where to go? There we are. All right. Let's go into the next movie. Our BFI movie of the week. Chandler, you want to introduce this? It is called The Young and the Damned. Los Olvidados. Yes, it is a Spanish language film. Was the film is it a Mexican film? Mexican or Spanish? Yeah, uh, directed by Luis Ben Buñuel, Buñuel, who was the director of our last week's film, um, and and Andalusian dog, Andalusian dog, uh, a, a Spanish double feature, if you will. Uh, it's basically about a bunch of uh, a bunch of street smart youngsters getting into trouble in the streets of mexico city yeah it was interesting that we this was our bfi movie of the week and then you picked uh bad education which is also about these are both movies about education very different sides of education but yeah uh, you could also call this this film bad education that you could that you could i'm not sure you could not sure you could call bad education uh, los olvidados though (laughs) you are not wrong doesn't work both ways so i coming off of uh i was uh cautious cautiously optimistic about this film yeah and i i have to say i thought it was pretty great same i i couldn't i think it'd be wrong to say i liked it if that makes sense i don't know if that does I, I wouldn't say that I enjoyed watching it, but I was engaged 100%. Yeah, it's it. I there's definitely a very low budget. Low budget, like. very harsh kind of tone. Um, yeah. Gritty. It feels like parts of it are, I don't, I don't want to say missing, but it definitely was not. It, it's a relatively. Um, for the time, I mean, it's it's not like a super old movie. It kind of feels like a movie 1950. that, yeah, nineteen fifty. It kind of feels like a movie that felt like it was made in the late thirties. Yeah, um, 
it's it's very rough very well how did you watch it because i watched i just rented it off of amazon yeah i was it was just on off amazon yeah but that's not to say i don't think that necessarily affects the if anything it, it almost adds to it because it's about these you know uh, uh, lower income kids running around causing havoc I just felt that, the, okay, so this film was just a very gritty and detailed portrait. Not necessarily realistic, because it does have Bunuel's stylistic, uh, kind of surreal uh, tendencies in here, too. So it's not really strictly a, a neorealist, realist film. Yeah. But it it's just very, it's a harsh film. It's um, It's not fun. But no. there's you're 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 following these kids. Who, Everyone's kind of shitty in this. <laughs> yeah, you're following kids who have been left behind by whatever education system there was in Mexico City, and they're just roaming the streets. And one of their friends, uh, Haibo, who just got out of jail, is a juvenile delinquent, and his presence is a negative effect on the uh, on the rest of the kids, to say the least. Mm-hmm. To say the least, yes. I guess my... Oh, go ahead. Okay, I guess my overriding reaction, because I watched this three days ago, and I've seen Mm -hmm. eight movies since then, so I'm I'm trying (laughs) to remember it. Um, I watched it at the top of the week. So, the one thing I very specifically remember was Haibo is probably one of the most despicable people and characters I've seen in a movie in a long time. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got the whole bad boy thing, but usually a bad boy, there's something, I don't know, enchanting about him, or he's charming at times. Haibo is just an all-around asshole. It just, they're, the kids are, are robbing blind people and crippleds, and... This movie won't even let me feel bad for the blind guy! Oh, I got... No one. No <laughs> one gets your sympathy in this no. film. No one. The mother of the, the kid... Um, so the film is mainly about Haibo and uh, Pedro, and Pedro's almost the main character. He's just kind of this young kid who is lost, you could say. Yeah, and he you could say damned as well. He, yeah, you could <laughs> if you wanted to. Could be both. I'd and say it synonymously. He's most definitely the the point in the film where the audience is most connected to. He's the most sympathetic character. Yeah, and. He, even he's making dumb decisions and his mom like his mom kind of tries to help him but she's also kind of an ass and that's the thing about the mom is that the mom is the one who i thought was going to be sympathetic um because she doesn't really give uh him the time of day but then you kind of learn that it's not outright stated but it's implied that um pedro is the is is was born out of rape did you get that part? Maybe. I don't know. I didn't. Well, because she said something along the lines of because um, the other two, Pedro's brother and sister, they're from the same father who died. Uh, and then um, uh, Pedro's mother says something along the lines of Pedro's father gave me him. I didn't have a choice in the matter. So it made me think, OK, Pedro might be like, you know, product of rape maybe that's why she yeah never... you could read it that way I yeah don't think that's a stretch so that doesn't it's still like i mean she's still your son but i also kind of understand why she's a little more hesitant it's just there's pedro is the closest thing to a sympathetic person we have in this 
and that's kind of it works and it doesn't um because i feel like this movie is it says a lot about like this is this this is what happens when you don't raise these kids you know if you let society raise these kids society's terrible but at the same time it, it, it's sort of like it's painting the world as terrible but it's not necessarily giving a reason as to why well you i think it, that you it's you know you have all these kind of terrible people who have lost faith in the system if there mm-hmm. ever was a system at all and yeah. the but it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're also angry and uh, annoyed with the world around them that the their reaction to that causes the people around them the kids and the adults to further descend into this terrible uh pessimistic behavior and attitude towards everyone else around you Mm -hmm. it's kind of a whole a picture of society as a whole particularly because kids are like they're the young they're the future of society and it's particular it's showing like, that in this as, movie the kids like, are just as brutal as these something adults. Is, is wrong yeah society is sick yeah and i think the ending is pretty great in that regard it's it's a tough ending it, it really is did you know that there was an alternate ending i did yeah i was reading about that yeah i don't like it as much but I get it that that probably would have been a lot more narrative narratively fulfilling because it, it points to this is the thing that can save them. You know, it's just giving them the time of day. Educating whatever. But I think that the harshness of the ending really speaks to more. It's not a movie about solving. It's a movie about criticizing. Yeah, it's it's um, a great criticism movie. It's a great society of like exposing the ills of society of what's what's going on in because it's filmed in mexico city mm-hmm. and uh, you know it, you look at it at it then and you look at it now and well there's you know we have color now we have color now but you know that's about it there's still some there's still problems there's still even in our country the there's plenty of kids who get left behind by the system and you know yeah they don't always turn out well so and I, I like that this movie emphasized that it really only takes one person to spoil everyone. Because I think that all of these kids, I don't think they'd be nearly as bad if it wasn't for Haibo. Haibo oh, is the certainly. one who's banding them together. He's instigating a lot of these crimes. He's the one who's driving this. And I just think it's interesting that without him, they have a shot. Uh, I also really enjoyed the dream sequences. I usually oh, don't like dream sequences. That was like played this. in reverse. Oh, That's was backwards it backwards footage? Oh, yeah. wow. I think it definitely as as far as this time period, it really captures the sort of the feel of a nightmare, the pseudo logic and the way that things start normal, but sort of, you know, uh, uh, deescalate. And I love that they tell you it's a dream essentially from the beginning. Um, the only thing that just it, it, I don't know how I feel about this is the fact that uh, Hybo sleeps with uh whoever's mom i'm like why <laughs> i i don't see what's the appeal <laughs> it just feels weird yeah which i get why but eh, i don't know i don't know well about that dream sequence it as you stated it tells you it's a dream sequence from the beginning um and it does mm-hmm. so with a double exposure shot of uh pedro getting up from the bed and you still see him sleeping yeah and i was like for the time like in such a 
film that seems incomplete and like it was from the 30s that yeah. seemed like a really great shot to have in here um, the slow-mo was great too yeah and chickens are a, are a motif in the film yeah okay i was gonna ask you what do you think the chickens mean i don't i couldn't put my hands on it we are all like the chicken because i'm trying to remember when the chicken appears chicken appears a bunch of times yeah uh there's also a cock fight in the in the film for a few seconds where the chickens are fighting for a second um and i felt like that that could be symbolic of all these kids just just going at each other for no reason really i, I think i know the answer but i'm just gonna ask anyway did they really beat a chicken for the movie i don't know it sounds about right you know when uh P- pedro's hitting that chicken with a stick yeah yeah it, it definitely looked it looks pretty real and you know with something like the lighthouse i'm like, I'm like oh how did they do that but if it's i look 1950 made in mexico i'm like oh oh no <laughs> It felt oh, no. the the chicken, particularly him beating the chicken, felt very almost metaphorical and symbolic. But I, I don't know yeah. what for. But I don't. I yeah. That's the one thing I, I just can't wrap my head around what the chicken might mean. I haven't thought about it too much. But that was the whole. That was the thing I was thinking about throughout the entire movie. Well, it's nice that you don't need to know what the chicken means. Yeah, I understand it's important. Yeah, it kind of ties the film together, and and for some reason, it's it's yeah, strange. It was, yeah, which is nice. It, what? Yeah, that's the thing is I was worried about this movie because I'm like, okay, an Andalusian dog. Uh, it, it was out there. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, but it was out there, but it also made no sense. So I'm like, oh, is this not going to make any sense? But if it makes too much sense, is it not going to be out there? I think this was a nice balance between a an understandable and plot-driven narrative and these sort of surrealist elements that you saw in an Andalusian dog. Yeah, I suppose the 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 real theme not the theme but the carry through for pedro and why he he has this tragic story is the the inability to tell the truth and almost fear of doing so that yeah a lot of his problems would have been solved if he he hadn't lied like when uh Haibo visits him at his job and takes the knife and then pedro says oh no one was here tell your boss that your friend was here yeah. and most likely the friend gets blamed for it right yeah it's not that hard Which i feel like i i feel like that whole fear of the truth originated with just his lifestyle with Hayabo and everyone else um which you know it's yeah, not yeah. like it, it it's not frustrating because you can you feel that these kids just that's how they grew up not to tell grown-ups like not to tell on each other and that's just you know they're on the yeah. streets and all that so i can't get too frustrated with the movie i think it was it was set up that that was a a reasonable I, I, thing they would do i enjoyed that i hated everyone but i understood everyone yeah i don't think this this film is 80 minutes long i don't think it could have been much longer i really don't think so either and i'll admit even 80 minutes it felt long hmm. um not super long but it, it felt normal length for me it, it it maybe it, it could have been the the rougher aesthetic that made some of the less interesting scenes kind of hard to sit through um but it was definitely i mean for the time i think that's pretty fantastic those those poor disabled people so it's, it's a film about how uh if you treat kids poorly uh they're gonna do uh terrible things <laughs> with chickens but the question is do you believe it deserves to be on the list 
I like okay, like you you believe that one movie per director, and yeah, I'm gonna state a different kind of criteria for me, and it's like I think there should be one movie per continent or region of the world. I think you need to represent the different areas of filmmaking because different countries do have very different styles of filmmaking, and I think they're all valid. Yeah. Um, and I, I as this is, I think it's the only the sole representative of Latin America on this list. And I, I think it more than deserves to be here. Oh, what about uh, Soy Cuba? Yeah, but I was very lukewarm about that staying on the list. <laughs> You're like, oh, it's the only one that I like. <laughs> I think this deserves to be on here because it's, it's, it's a very interesting. It's a, it's a time capsule of Mexico, of that region of the world. And it, it's a socially conscious film that I, I think it is. It's not perfect. It's kind of crude. It's rough around its edges, but I think that kind of plays into the uh, the story of the. It's of a crude the movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing that uh, same sentiment I had with Tuki Buki, where I'm like, okay, this isn't you know, it's not perfect. This is definitely messy. But given the the time frame or the time period and where it came from. Obviously, the, the Mexican film industry is not nearly as big as other places in the world. I'm going to say it does, especially more than Andalucian Dog, just because it did exactly it, it, it accomplished all of its goals. It was pretty powerful and uh, it was definitely if I felt like it was, it was a movie that I uh, that time that place probably resonated a lot more than it did with me. It felt very informed. It felt genuine in what it was trying to say um definitely rough but i'm gonna say yeah it, it deserves to be on here but not andalucian dog sorry sorry louis well, i'll cross that off the list eventually i'll you know maybe on our 25th episode we'll do a, a quick little we'll see what we've said yes to and what we've said no to so far and take stock yeah so you you have been scheduling guests and which i've been very, have. very appreciative of of taking of some, course some work away from me so what's i'm not even sure what, what we're doing uh next what, what is the next movie so i don't know do we have a guest next week we 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 have three guests lined up the order is, <laughs> is i don't know okay so <laughs> because just a spoiler i what really throws a wrench into this operation is that we're on the brink of watching sallow <laughs> And it just became a matter of who do I want to spring that on? Is that the next one? No, 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 no. Okay. So the next one, if we were going in order, would... So Los, Los Olvidados is on the director's list. Okay, to... that makes sense. I didn't specify that yet. Um. Oh, I also didn't mention last week. I need to make a correction. Not a correction, but an addition. That okay. uh, an Andalusian dog is the first movie that we've watched so far that is on both lists. Really? And an Andalusian dog, that was the way I've wow. been doing it is we watch it, we watch what whichever position is higher. Yeah. So it was number 94 on the adjusted critics list and it's number 92 on the adjusted director's list. So That's fair. That was the first That's movie fair. on both lists that we watched. That's interesting. There'll be more coming up. But the next two movies, 
Um, we can choose, pick and choose. I'm not too uh, concerned with staying exactly in order, but we can do Jaws or A Brighter Summer Day. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We should do Jaws next. Okay. After that, A Brighter Summer Day. I'm thinking, I'll, I'll tell you after, but we can get a guess for next week. Great. We have guests for the next arguably four weeks, but I need two of them are uh, yeses and two of them. I'm still waiting on a confirmation, but we'll have guests for the next few weeks. 